Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Hello and welcome to Headliner Radio, where we're honoured to be joined by the brilliant Paul Banks of Interpol, whose new album, The Other Side of Make Believe, is released on July 15th. Uh, Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you and whereabouts in the world are you joining us from? Hi there. Thank you. Um, Berlin is where I'm at. Very nice. Um, uh, I mean, firstly, um, I just wanted to say how great it was to see uh, Interpol performing in London again last week at the Roundhouse. I was there on the uh, the Wednesday night, and it was uh, it was fantastic um, to, to see the band live in the UK again. Um, I was just wondering how that was for for you guys, and how it's been generally just just being out and, and finally touring again. Yeah, that show was a lot of fun, a lot of great energy. I mean, actually, it was super awesome audience. Um, so yeah, that was a great show among, you know, many actually. It's been a lot of fun being back on the road, to be honest with you. It's more fun than it's been in a long time, I think. I think we're playing very well. And um yeah, I think it was like good kind of reset almost for the live thing. I guess also the the specter of the possibility of live not coming back, uh yeah. having been in the back of the mind for a while. I think being back on the road has this sort of second level of um, payoff sense yeah. to it because you know shit we're here period that's great and then on top of that you know the shows are a lot of fun and the, and the public is really great yeah fantastic I swear on here yes that's fine <laughs> absolutely um, I mean yeah the, I think there is definitely you know from an audience perspective there's been a lot of excitement at just being able to get out at, to, to see live music again but I guess that is something that also exists for the for the artists as well you know that there is that perhaps renewed sense of excitement at going out rather than it feeling like okay it's it's another tour not to suggest that anyone is just going through the motions but there's probably an added sense of relief and excitement I guess at being back out there again yeah I mean never before would I've ever even imagined a universe where touring wasn't an option, but I think there was a little bit of a window of time where that was really, you know, questionable or, Mm. you know, was the touring industry going to come back, but be in such a shambles with COVID regulations that like it was impossible to go through Europe. You know, that was one kind of tier of anxiety before things started up again was, you know, will there be tour period and how can tour be executed in the current situation? But, you know, so far so good, not, not totally easy, but, it's working yeah good to hear and if it was if it was to me at least like there's always been a, an affinity between the uk and interpol um you know is is that something that that, that has been i don't know evident to to you guys in the band has, has there been a kind of sense of a real i don't know that it, it feels like the uk audiences every time i've i've been to see the band it feels like there's always huge excitement and kind of energy in the room i i was curious enough that's something that that is something that you've felt since since you started out or whether that's uh just something that follows you everywhere i mean i think there is a there's a great relationship with the uk but we and i think you know there's some elements to why that would make sense i think there's a certain you know britishness to our sound you could argue, I think, uh, you know, I was born in England. Daniel was born in England. Um, so there's a connection there. But I feel like we were really introduced to the UK as part of the New York wave at the end of the 2000s. So I think it was, we're also, I think, kind of quintessentially like a, a New York band. But I just think that there's been a connection with the UK. I think that was really like, London, you know, 
UK broke the strokes. And then I think sort of like the NME was sort of like involved in this whole kind of like New York rock scene hype, I think more than was even happening in New York at the time. So I think we just kind of started out over here uh, in the UK, like best foot forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we're now just, uh, you know, at the time of recording this, um, a few weeks away from the release of the band's new album. Um, I mean, it's the seventh album that you, you would have put out to date. What can you tell us about how this record first came together? Because perhaps inevitably its creation was impacted uh, in some degree by COVID, or at least I'm aware that the, the band were in different locations and working remotely when, when sessions first started on this. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about the origins of this record and, and how it how it came together? Yeah. Um, you know, we found ourselves, I'd say late spring, early summer of 2020, each of us in different countries and just kind of like, why not start jamming on some material? Um, Daniel had a batch of songs that he had written that he just emailed. And then it became kind of, I bought a bass because I I was living in Edinburgh at the time, or I got kind of stranded in Edinburgh for the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, So I got a bass and then just kind of like, that was one of my pastimes um, during the day, during lockdown, um, day and night, uh, in Edinburgh was like writing bass lines to these jams that Daniel had circulated. And then I would try and do some vocal parts and then send that on to Sam to kind of say like, you know, try and build a groove, um, you know, send him a baseline, but kind of like baseline optional. If you want to approach this from some other angle, then do that. And then I'll redo the bass and mm-hmm. you just make do kind of like passing the baton, um, around in a circle between the three of us and kind of like just hashed it out that way. And, you know, I think historically what we do is Daniel will bring songs into a rehearsal and then we'll just like jam them together and build, you know, Sam and I will build out our parts live together, including the vocal Um, and not having that kind of like live room experience in the beginning with these songs, I think kind of made it uh, a unique process for us because i wasn't competing with the drum volume when i was writing a vocal melody or i wasn't worried that like this bass line i'm trying to write i keep fucking it up over and over and over again but no one is actually here having to hear that you know i'm just like in my bedroom mastering something and then when it's right i can send it on and be like this is a hundred percent the idea that i have what do you think rather than just chipping away at things which is how we do historically yeah so i think you know there was some interesting benefits that came from writing in isolation, but then we were able to get together in the Catskills um, sometime last year, I guess it must've been to kind of try out the material we've been working on over email in a room together. And uh, so sort of half the record got written that way, half got written remotely. Mm. In the end, I feel like it sounds like us, but I think there's some kind of new dimensions to the sound because of uh, that remote writing process. Yeah, it it definitely feels like a like a different sounding Interpol album to me. It's it's still got the hallmarks of, of an Interpol record, but it it does feel like there's that there's something a little different there. Perhaps I don't know a different kind of sonic element to it. And is that something that you think was sort of wholly influenced by the circumstances under which the record was made, or was this always an album that that perhaps might have moved in a in a different direction or gone off on a, a different piste? I mean, I think it would have sounded different if it hadn't have been for lockdown. I think my vocal approach and my bass approach probably would have been different. Uh, 
I even think that some of the songs are a little bit, you know, they're quite stretched out. They're quite relaxed. And mm-hmm. I think like even in tempos, and I think that's refreshing for us, but probably wouldn't have been the outcome if we had been writing all together in the room where I think things kind of start to like get on their toes a little bit. I think this record has a bit more of a head headphone um, relaxed quality to it, which, yeah, like I said, I think seven albums in there's, you know, it's not a bad thing to kind of be forced to try new things in your writing process. So yeah. I think songs like something changed. Um, and uh, what's another one? Songs that just don't get hurried. There's a song on there called Greenwich. They just have like a nice pacing that I think is because we were sort of like just enjoying them at leisurely uh, at home. So I think it's kind of like our, it's like an intimate record. It's got a lot of polish. And then I think it sort of stretches out in some relaxed directions that we haven't done a lot of historically. Yeah. Is that something, I mean, when you're, you know, typically working in the same room together and, and kind of writing songs and fleshing songs out that way, has has that process obviously that wasn't a, a process that you used as much this time around but is that something that's developed a lot over time or is it still the same kind of tried and tested way of daniel coming to the room with a chord progression and then the rest of the band adding to it or or has that process changed or developed in some way even though it's still essentially the the three of you in a room together um i mean that process has pretty much been there since the, after the first record, we've sort of done it the one way. Um, yeah. I think, uh, you know, there was Carlos in the mix for a few records beyond that point. And then this, this last three, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think it's kind of a, it's a, an element of our sound is that we have rehearsed the material of shitloads before we record. We, we yeah. never really go to a studio with ideas that aren't all the way there. Uh, so I think that's why our sound has always been pretty like, seemingly meticulously curated is because like we have just played the songs together in the room hundreds and hundreds of times while we were all sort of mapping out our parts. And and so that makes the band really tight when the record arrives and also makes all the parts sort of really on purpose. And so I think um, that's kind of like, it's, it's a process that comes naturally to us. I think writing and discovering in the room together. And I think it has, thus contributed to what is essentially like one of the signature elements of our sound is like yeah. a certain kind of uh, uh, solidness. Yeah. Fantastic. And how was it working with Alan Mulder and flood on this, on this album? It was great. We've worked with Mulder a few times. He's mixed a couple records for us leading up to this one, uh, but we'd never worked with flood and we were really excited to work with him. And then even more excited to work with him in, um, in um, collaboration with Mulder. Mm. And yeah, Flood's a really interesting dude, a really talented producer, has an incredible sensibility, uh, I think, towards musicians and towards music and just sound in general. And he's just a real character. So he yeah. he brought like some real good mojo, I think, to the, to the process. Mm. And I think kind of like coaxed the best performances out of each member and sort of carried the songs like he got he got an idea from the demos that we'd sent him of what he believed the songs could and should be and then i think he kind of helped us carry it across that line yeah how do you like to work with producers on that level do you do you like to be quite collaborative when you've got a producer and if, if you're not producing a record yourself um or is do you kind of go with something kind of 99 percent of the way there and you just want them to give give it some final flourishes you know what's your approach to a to a collaboration with a producer I mean, it just depends, really. Um, 
it depends on the project. You know, one thing was, yeah. Um, I've done it a lot of different ways. I think yeah. with Interpol, it's usually more, the songs are really complete and like have an identity. And then in the last two records, we really sort of invited, you know, Fridman and, um, and flood into kind of like deconstruct what we're doing. But basically historically, it's like, if there's no producer there, then we'll just record the songs as we have been writing and rehearsing them. Yeah. And if there is a producer there and we're sort of of a mindset to kind of say like, yeah, here's 85% of the song. What do you think uh, about, you know, how it's being played? And I think um, typically it's, it's pretty well fleshed out, but I do think we've done a pretty good job of like leaving enough open to allow for a talented extra person to sort of really contribute something to how the record winds up being. Yeah. Um, and so that's cool. I think it's like a rewarding aspect, you know, album six and seven to sort of, you know, open up that, that door and see, see what we can get from there. I guess knowing always that like we have a certain sort of, um, I think ineffable is like the word style that we just, you know, there's music there regardless. Yeah. And then, you know, and then hopefully someone like flood can sort of make it better, which in this case he did. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, who was some of your, I mean, this is going back to way perhaps before you were, were even making music or, or making music with Interpol, but who were some of the producers that, or maybe some of the records that first kind of awakened you to what could be achieved with production? So not just appreciating music at a kind of lyrical or musical level, but thinking about how a record actually sounds, even if it's not something that would have directly influenced the way that Interpol sounds, just producers that, that kind of left an impression on you and made you think about sonics and, and sound in, in records. I don't know if I really knew about what the role of a producer was in the early days when those kinds of things were having an impact on me. So like, I don't know even today who produced the Led Zeppelin song, Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You, that mm. kind of left a big impression on me sonically. Uh, All of Ritual de Lo Habitual by Jane's Addiction was a record that in retrospect, it was the production. As, I mean, it was the music, but the production was no small part of what made that record so transportive for me. Mm. Um Octum Baby has a couple jams that were really um, had a big impact, and I know Flood worked on on that one. I guess Alan Len- Lenoir is that the guy's name? Oh uh, yes, yeah, yeah. I should know. I should know this though. <laughs> but then, I mean, then it was really like a lot of hip hop kind of. This is you know outside of the rock genre. Then hip hop, the role of the producer became a little bit more clear because it's kind of like whoever is like making the beat and like the sound behind the rapper is like the the producer. So. Yeah. In that case, like producers like RZA and Madlib and Jay Dilla and LP, um, those are all producers that really like kind of awakened my ear to certain types of you know sonic depth and kind of like sound as cinema in a way. Yeah, yeah, cool. I mean, we met. You mentioned earlier on um, the the kind of New York scene that Interpol kind of emerged from sort of twenty odd years ago now. Um, and you know, I, I was curious that, you know, that, that period in time seems to be, uh, kind of being placed under the microscope again, whether it's by the media or, or, you know, music fans. I, I know that I've seen a few people talking recently about reflecting on that era. There was, uh, books like meet me in the bathroom, which came out, which was kind of offering a, it was a few years ago now, but offering a little bit of a glimpse into that, that whole world, that New York music scene. Um, and I was just curious to know if that's a time that you that you ever reflect on and, and kind of 
consider and think about some of the bands that have been and come, come and gone since then and and obviously interpol's own career since then how you're still you know 20 years later releasing records have been consistently releasing records and, and still doing it today and and what maybe has has led to that and made you such a such an enduring band where there were perhaps some others that you know were there quite briefly and then disappeared or have, have taken different directions in their career I think there's just like a level of professionalism that goes into kind of not derailing the the gig, especially if you have, well, maybe the most important thing is that we have chemistry together still. Yeah. That's probably at the, at the base of like why we're still around is that we still have like musical ideas to express together. And when yeah. we start, when we're writing together, it still feels as interesting and as fresh as ever. So I think that's where I guess I come back with like the luck element, which just sort of like, I just think that's a fortunate thing that we can still inspire each other and are not all out of ideas, but on the contrary, still kind of feel like excited about the collaboration. Mm. Um, and then I think elements of like, that's when I'm then the professionalism is just sort of like not letting things go off the rails in the, in yeah. the interim 20 years, whether it be professionally or personally, or kind of just like keeping your shit together. Yeah. And I think as professionals, we've just been very, you know, serious about you know we're we're a band and we write music and we feel really privileged and lucky to be in the situation and there's still inspiration there so we just sort of like keep riding the wave of inspiration and trying not to fuck it all up and yeah. then i think then it's a more luck and circumstance that people like us i guess and that you know we're still able to come and, and tour and release the albums yeah i mean do you think that 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 period in time was in in, in some ways kind of exaggerated perhaps by the music media at the time because it felt you know looking at it as someone in the uk um, you know, and, and looking at it overseas, it did feel like it was being reported to this re- as this real hotbed of great creativity and excitement and kind of decadence to a point. Um, but then, you know, uh, as often happens, that can lead to lots of bands maybe being hastily signed up or releasing music a little bit quickly. And, and you find out that the reality is a little bit different to the to the image that's portrayed in the media. You know, we've seen that every decade has had that, whether it was Britpop in the 90s or punk in the 70s or whatever. Um did it feel like a, a really kind of exciting musical scene to be a part of where there was a real connection between a lot of the artists that were making music around that time in that area? Or do you think there was a degree of hype there that, that set a bit of an unrealistic image of, of what was taking place? I think there's hype in the depiction of how the scene was, but I don't think it's an overhype to say that there was a scene and that like a lot of really great music came out at the same time from the same city. Mm. So if I look at TV on the radio, yeah, yeah, yes. Um, Blonde Redhead, The Strokes, uh, Liars, I guess I count as kind of New York. Walkmen, I count as New York. Uh, and all of those bands, that's like seven bands to me, have total longevity and kind of in some ways are like yet, I think will continue to be appreciated and discovered, you know, mm. for a long time time so it's not like in the instances of the bands i've just enumerated i don't think any of that is like a hype job but i think that the illusion of sort of everybody like you know chilling at the same bar on the same night kind of saying like check out my new demo you know strokes you know i don't think that that i know i mean some guy we knew some members of yeah yeah yes from going out i bumped into like the manager of the strokes from going out um and we knew that there was a band called the strokes but it wasn't like one big scene of artists hanging out tv on the radio used to rehearse next to us and yeah. one of the guys used to work at the cafe near a rehearsal space and so there was you know that but um mm. but yeah if anything i feel like you know the yes and the strokes and stuff like there's still appreciation 
to come as people contextualize like how good that art is yeah yeah absolutely you know it's 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 really interesting i think to to hear that because we had a you know in the uk there was a similar thing with bands like the libertines um, Mm. and uh, the cribs and Razorlight and people like that that came through at a similar time that were you know that felt like that was a bit of a london scene and um I, i was recently speaking to um scott wilkinson from british sea power or, or C Power, yeah. as they're, they're now called. And he was speaking incredibly fondly about Interpol. Um, he was talking about, uh, I think, uh, going on tour uh, with uh, with you guys and, and really enjoying it. And, and, you know, he was talking about what a fan he is. Um, I was curious just to know if that's a band that you've kind of stayed either in touch with or kind of, you know, uh, seen over the years, because they're a, they're a really interesting one in that they've been going similarly to Interpol, like really consistently over this past 20 years and releasing great records. Um, uh, but I, over here, at least, it feels like they, they, they still kind of go a little bit underneath the radar um, mm. and have a real cult following. I was just wondering what your kind of uh, memories of, of being on the road with them were like and, and uh, if, if they're a band that you've ever kept in touch with or followed. I mean, they're the best. Yeah, they're so... They were... We loved touring with them, and like their shows were absolutely incredible. Uh, love the lyrics, love all the musicians, like all of their personalities were fantastic. Really, really great band. Um, I mean, I've been in touch with one of them recently. I did a post, like, I posted sort of like a celebration post to, yeah, um, that first record with apologies to Insect Life. I, I think it was their first record. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I had a little brief exchange, but like, I haven't actually stayed following, you know, I, yeah, I haven't really stayed super up to speed with their career, but I am not at all surprised that they've been, you know, consistently releasing great music because I think they're definitely the real, the bona fide item. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's some of the, you know, that's great music that they do. Cool. Um, and I was also wondering if, if there's anyone that you've been listening to, recently that you've been particularly excited by or any records that have that have blown you away and 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 have and and particularly interested or or intrigued you i mean i listen to hip-hop so i don't know if that's what you you know i don't know if that's like your listeners sort of forte but um kendrick lamar uh that record i've been enjoying um not quite as much as damn which i think is like a masterpiece but i really like the new kendrick record a lot and uh, I'm a big Kodak Black fan, and I love the fact that Kodak Black is featured heavily on this Kendrick record. Um, I actually really like the recent Drake record. Yeah. And that, to me, is sort of like a turnaround again after like three records that I've liked less. Like this one, for some reason, is just like kind of totally speaking to me. Um, yeah, yeah. A rock band that every time I hear it on a radio, I say, who is this? Is Krong, Krong Bin. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Brang. So outside of hip hop, that's an artist that like definitely has like repeatedly caught my attention where I've had to say like, what is that? That's awesome. Um, okay. And I, I got to see them live briefly during, uh, at Primavera and they're, they're so dope. That's, yeah. that's a killer band. I really like them. Amazing. Uh, did you uh, manage to catch any of Kendrick Lamar's uh, Glastonbury performance last night? No, no. It was remarkable. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. He's a, he's, he's a really unreal. big deal. That guy's a really big deal. Yeah, that was a huge thing. I think it was a really interesting uh, set of headliners for Glastonbury this year, and I think the the way that he closed the the festival out yesterday was unreal. It was a it was a real kind of yeah. It, it felt like something of a one off at Glastonbury, but yeah, it was fantastic. Cool. Um, yeah. Just curious to know if there have been any real kind of incredible festival performances that you've seen 
through the you know down the years whether it's been what festivals you've been playing at or festivals that you've just attended um as a as a fan um that have really kind of stopped you in your tracks and made you think that's something that you don't kind of see every day at a music festival or that's something that's really exciting and kind of you know breaking um, the mold. yeah i mean it has been a, it's been a long time since i've really gone out into the crowd and watched mm-hmm. um you know it's oftentimes sort of side of stage mm-hmm. uh um but seeing gorillas I, I i went out and watched some of gorillas recently and just uh, that was really kind of cool because the totality of the music that's happening you know there's so many live players and so much like live vocals and it's just like a lot of like live music and also a great visual spectacle that was a really good one um yeah yeah the other one that i'd seen was like drake and future but at like coachella i think it was but the sound wasn't that great yeah so yeah i don't know I don't know if I've got much for you there. Okay, that's that's fine. I saw footage of Tyler the Creator at Primavera, and that looked insane. Like yeah. I wish I wish I had been there to see that, like okay. his stage setup and just like his whole shtick with the new record. I think it's also great. Like he's a yeah. cool, cool what he's doing. Cool. And um, I love uh, Tyler Baudelaire, aka Bunny Hop. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. I was um, I was also just wondering if um, you've considered any kind of work outside of Interpol as you've done sort of various times throughout your career so far, whether it's been Julian Plenty or kind of Paul Banks self-titled solo material or Banks and Steels. Is there anything that you've considered doing again outside of, outside of Interpol or is that something that just kind of happens as and when the situation arises or do you kind of like to constantly have a little eye on out, you know, extracurricular activities? I mean, I'm just always working on something always writing something and different outlets sort of come along or i'll just choose to do a solo thing um but you forgot muzz muzz is a, yes, a record i put out apologies at the beginning of the pandemic yeah no problem yeah. but that's that's something i'm really proud of that's a great a great band um that i'm really stoked to be a part of or just like great collaborators um we are definitely going to do some new music uh, I've been hearing that RZA has been saying that he's down to do some new Banks and Steels. Um, oh, nice. Which I'm always down. Yeah. Um, and I'm working on some solo stuff now. So, yeah, there's there's always um, always music to be written. <laughs> Amazing. Well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Paul, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, and I've been absolutely loving listening to the, uh, to the new record. Um, it's fantastic. Oh, great. So, thank yeah, you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, dude. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.